0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the ChrisCast. I'm your host, Chris. Joining me once again through Facebook Messenger is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. Well, uh, This week, I'm going to start off with a good story that kind of counteracts what people are saying. Because, you know, people are accusing the unemployment for reasons people can't find jobs, or won't find jobs, and they can't fill jobs. Well... From businessinsider.com, U.S. Weekly jobless claims unexpectedly dropped to pandemic-era low of 547,000. This is the lowest since the pandemic started back in March. And there's a
1: lot of people saying they can't find jobs. You know what? I'm going to call BS. Because there's tons and tons of jobs out there and tons of places
0: hiring and people don't want to work. Well, the, the thing is, it's looking like we're about back to what we were before the pandemic. So it's the chronically unemployed that are unemployed.
1: <clears throat> well, it's just like there's a restaurant there in, in Hickory. It's called Jack in the Box. And they have a sign up that says starting out at $13 an hour their restaurant is having to be open only from eight in the morning to seven o'clock at night because of the lack of people wanting to work.
0: But, and they're
1: starting out at $13 an hour.
0: But what I'm but they, seeing no is one it's... Won't
1: work, no one will work. Well, I don't know what you're saying, but there's tons of people hiring, but they can't get nobody to fill those positions. It's well, like um, Hickory
0: Chair, uh, a furniture manufacturer there in Hickory, Um they
1: had a um, they had an interview on Fox News um, of all things, yeah, with the CEO of Hickory Chair. The, uh, the not CEO, but the president of Hickory Chair. They said we need a hundred people now to work, and they said we can't get people to come in. We we need a hundred people in their plant right now to work,
0: and people won't come in and apply. Well, it's it's basically seeming like. The, the issue is not people so much not wanting to work as it is the people have found other jobs and they're not filling these other smaller positions. Boy, you made a lot um, of noise with that napkin. Sorry.
1: <laughs> um, just as always, I'm snacking. So don't they'll be, they'll be cracking on me. But anyways, um, just going to get back to Hickory Chair, that, I do know that furniture manufacturing is falling by the wayside and nobody wants to build furniture anymore. Young people has no interest in it whatsoever. It's a trade. Yes, I know. It's a blue collar job. It's a good paying job, but still yet, that's just one company wanting to hire a hundred people and... That kind of a trade and craftsman's job is falling by the wayside. And I fear for our manufacturing future. Um, everybody's wanting everything made in America now. And that's just, just just one small example of what's going on in the manufacturing end. And just like I said, I worked, in a, I worked in a furniture factory. I worked at Century Furniture for five years. I finished furniture and I also was a truck driver for them. That was back in the '90s. Um, it's fallen by the wayside, and young people don't want to do that. But still, yet yeah, everybody's harping. They want to make America, and the people that are actually making the furniture is aging themselves out of a job because uh, the, a lot of the furniture manufacturers right now, um, those people you go in to look at the and see the employees, they're 50 some they're they're upper 50s, 60s, and lower 70s. And some people are close to 80 years old still working in furniture manufacturing. And no young people are coming in. No young people.
0: And so everybody's wanting want to made America, but no one's wanting to work it. And flip side, the there was somebody I was talking with on, on Facebook because personally I don't know anybody who's unemployed and still collecting unemployment from the pandemic. I don't either. And that was my question And I can't even remember who it was, but they said that they knew one who said he was not going to get a job because he can not get a job and get paid and have plenty of money in his pocket, which is true. And that person would be called a freeloader, and that's an issue. But the other instance that they mentioned was a mother who was staying at home helping her kids and using unemployment as a way to cover the bills and that I can see as a more of a necessity like your kids are out of school, they're home you can't afford a sitter if you go back to work if you're home collecting unemployment, you're getting your bills paid you're actually productive so you you have to look at multiple situations here too like I said, the guy just collecting unemployment so he can do what he wants to do and not work that's a free lover. The mother taking care of her kids—that's somebody who I can see getting unemployment and not have a problem with. Yeah, but in in relation to that story, and then,
1: and, and then you also have those people that are drawing unemployment
0: that are making more on unemployment than they would have at their jobs, and can afford to pay their bills. And see, that's something else I've pointed out is it's this never-ending whining. Like, last night, Biden announced his plans to make community college free, which I see is a great thing because it gives people who are working minimum wage jobs and can't afford to go to school the opportunity to be able to go. But everybody's whining about it, and I'm like, okay, so they collect unemployment and you whine because they don't have enough money to make their payments. They get a job where they don't have enough money to make their payments and get government help, and you whine. Uh Now they offer community college, which is not expensive to begin with, but they offer community college so that these people who cannot afford it because they're paying every other bill with every cent they've got, so they can better themselves and try to get a better job to where they don't have to collect government aid, you're going to whine about that too. So, it basically comes down, those people whining are never going to be happy no matter what's done, unless it's their politician that does it. And that's an issue. Like, just because it's not the person you voted for coming up with this does not make it a bad thing. Like I said before, I agreed with Trump on the banning of the bump stocks on the guns. Yeah. I... I mean, I hate Trump. I always have. But I can at least say that was good legislation that he came up with. I think that's the only thing good. Probably. It's the only thing I can come up with off the top of my head. But it's still, I can give him credit on that. That was a good law that he made. Yeah. But... Um, it's...
1: um Oh God, I forgot what I was going to say. Um... Yeah, it's it's always um, the Republican side they're always saying the Democrats is gonna give, give you, give you, give you, give you, give you, give you, give you. And the Republicans are gonna do nothing but take, 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 take away. Um, what got what got me is the party and the conservatives spent more money in their first four years with Trump underneath the presidency. I mean, our our deficit went up trillions of dollars and now they're trying to, you know Do an infrastructure bill. And the infrastructure has, you know, getting internet out to the rural areas and um, amongst other things. And um, now they're groaning about that. I mean, really, people, I just just don't get it. It's so exhausting. It's, I can't do that.
0: Let's not forget that, what was it, billion dollar wall, multi billion dollar wall that Trump wanted to build that was proven. To fail and fell over in a high wind as well. But it was proven a failure. It was easy to scale. It was not going to keep anybody out. And they were thrilled about that waste of money. This is actually something that can help people and make their lives better. And they're mad about it. That's what I don't get. Well, they took the $500 billion away from the military to pay for that damn wall and the military can probably afford it since we're pulling out of Afghanistan yep and that's a huge drop in money that we're having to spend on our military
1: I didn't I didn't realize this until um I was listening on the news uh I, the only time I get, ever get to hear the news is whenever I'm going to or from work cause I don't watch it when I'm at home I just listen to like the national news on, on Sirius satellite radio but um, I didn't realize this, but that's we've been, it's the, it's the longest war we've ever been in. And 20 years they've been in Afghanistan. 20
0: years. And when I was asked if it was a good thing that we were pulling out, I was like well, why are we still there anyways? What good is it doing for us to be there? I mean, honestly, what, what was changing with our presence?
1: They were saying that it needed a presence, you know, to tamp down on what was it, Al-Qaeda? There in Afghanistan,
0: Al-Qaeda? Well, you know what? ISIS came, came up under Obama, and they blamed Obama for eliminating Al-Qaeda, and then Al-Qaeda came back under Trump. So, you know, what? it doesn't matter who's in charge. We're not going to stop those groups. No. They're just
1: mean, ugly, nasty thugs who just try to bully their way through. So,
0: but they'll get their comeuppance. But back to the unemployment thing, there was another story that's pretty bad for us this year. This is from CNET.com. A summer gas shortage is possible due to too few tanker drivers.
1: Yep, I saw that. Yep. And. And you know they're going to call BS. You know, everyone's going to call BS. It's a shortage of gas for blaming it on Biden.
0: Well, no, It's, it's not a the shortage gas. shortage you
1: idiots.
0: It's not the gas shortage. But the fact that they're not going to be able to get it there means prices will greatly increase. And well,
1: that's because they're expecting a record number of people to hit the roads this
0: summer. Well, they've been locked up for over a year and not able to get out and do things because everything's been shut down. So, it's it's like snow in the winter. You, you need to be in for a day. Oh, I can't stand it. i got to get out. Oh, no, it's snowing. What am I going to do? Do you hate your house that much? Honestly. Because I, I don't mind being at home.
1: Oh, honey, snow me in. I, I've got, you know, Netflix. i got everything to be watching. Just snow me
0: in, I'm fine. On your old box TV. Do I? On your old box TV.
1: Actually, you smart
0: butt. I
1: watch Netflix and all my streaming services on my iPad 8.
0: So, you've got a 7-inch screen to watch it on.
1: Actually, this is bigger than a 7-inch screen. You know what? I don't need your cynical attitude this evening. It's a good thing we're not doing the show in front of each other tonight.
0: Yeah, whatever.
1: <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I was thinking once you know they're not they know that the people's getting ready to go start traveling,
0: and what a perfect way for the oil company to make money than to bump up the prices. Well, and you know they're also going to say it's because and take advantage of that. I mean, come on. They're gonna really? they the going to say it's because the Democrats be in charge. And Trump had the prices way down last year. Well, the only reason the prices were way down last year was because there was an oversupply and little demand due to the pandemic. Because this article says the national average for a gallon of gas is two eighty nine, up from one seventy seven this time last year. You can't compare because the demand is higher this year. The supply is down this year. So, and the supplies, if the... Tanker drivers do cause this shortage at the pumps. The supply is going to be there. It's just to have the ability to get it out to the to the stores. And and once they cause, uh, and once this news gets out and, and the new and it causes a
1: crisis, you're going to have all the morons going to the pumps filling up every one of their cars. And all those fifty-five gallon drum barrels that they got at the house, full of gasoline, like they did the last time, and it's going to just get the gas. Pr- the gas prices way up, and we're going to be out of gas, especially out here, probably about the rural areas. We're not going to have any gas at all, like we did yeah. last time.
0: And and heaven forbid a hurricane hits. Yeah. So. But. Moving on, I've got a a good news story from North Carolina this week. This is from Yahoo News. North Carolina 12-year-old graduating high school and college in the same week. Next month, Mike Wimmer will not only finish high school as valedictorian of his class, the 12-year-old from Salisbury, North Carolina will also graduate from college with a 4.0 GPA. Can you say Sheldon Cooper?
1: That's smarter than Sheldon Cooper. My god. So, at 12 years old,
0: That 12 he's years a prodigy. old, you
1: know what? You know what? I went to church with this. I'm not going to name names, but um. I went to church with this guy who's very, very smart and um, he was a prodigy like that and he graduated, he got his doctorate in physics in three years and that's an eight, eight or a ten year course to get your doctorate in physics. He graduated high school um, in the ninth grade and he went out to college and he got his doctorate in physics within three years. The government came and got him. He
0: didn't have a choice. They wanted him. Well, this other paragraph here says some good things, too. It says, but he's still just a kid, albeit one who is just as comfortable doing normal kid stuff as he is consulting with the military about the future of artificial intelligence. So it sounds like, yeah, he's incredibly smart, but he's still being a kid, and that's important. Like you can't give up your childhood regardless of the reason. So he needs to be able to grow up like a normal child, which it sounds like he might actually be doing. It
1: says, he, sounds like the, he sounds like he's the
0: Michael Jackson of Smarks, five says, years old, being a kid, performing his whole life, and didn't have a childhood. Well, it also says, I enjoy basketball, swimming, building Legos, sim racing, playing with Hot Wheels, and attending IMSA sport car races is what he told Southern Living. I am still a kid and still do 12-year-old things. I pride myself on being able to have a business Zoom meeting one minute and the next logging a couple of miles on my knees while playing with Hot Wheels. So, just just a good story all the way around, but uh, definitely... Yeah, I mean, that's a
1: smart kid, and I bet his mom and daddy is so proud of him but scared to death at the same time.
0: That was, he's <laughs> He's definitely a success story for sure. And it's nice you know to his see... mom and dad is shaking in their shoes. They're like, what the hell is this kid going to do? <laughs> well, it's, it's just really nice to see good news out of North Carolina for a change. That's all I can say.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah let's not talk about the bad news of what's going on in good North Carolina. I guess you saw
0: that. The shooting in Watauga County. Yeah,
1: uh, Boone.
0: Yeah. For For those who don't know, there was... The officers in, in Boone, North Carolina, oh, on, were going it. It's
1: on CNN. Yeah.
0: On the, national news. The officers in, in Boone, North Carolina, were called to a residence for a welfare check because, I think it was the mail didn't show up for work, and yeah. phone calls went unanswered at the house. So they went to do a check, and... When they went into the house, they went down the stairs and two of the officers were shot and killed going down the stairs. The suspect was also killed. He had also killed the stepfather and the wife. I don't know exactly because I haven't read real close, but I know it was a stepfather and there was either a wife or girlfriend or something of the stepfather. And well, the ch- Well, the child's dead now. The child died. I didn't know there was a child involved.
1: Yeah, they shot the shot. Is a two-year-old? They shot. They shot a little two-year-old. Um, what I was listening to on the news. And they airlifted him to the Children's Hospital in at
0: um, Baptist Hospital, and the child died. So, so, definitely a a very bad story all the way around. But yeah.
1: horrible mean people people just suck you know if you wanna just instead of turning your gun on other people turn it on yourself just end yourself
0: plain and simple. Um, but cause you just bummed us out we need to get a good news story on here so <laughs> sorry won't, won't. did you did you see the the story uh, on, about uh, the uh, woman uh, with the VHS uh, tape do I know did you see the woman with the VHS tape? No. It was overdue for 21 years. And she was facing felony charges for not returning it. She claimed that she was not the one to have rented it, that there was a young man living with her at the time that might have been the one who, who had rented it. She didn't... She claimed she did not know. But... You know, I'm kind of like It's a videotape It's not something to be jailed over If anything Charge them for the cost of the tape
1: is, there, is the video store Okay, the bigger question is Is the video store still in business?
0: It went out of business in 2009 But the charges were filed in 2000
1: Are you kidding me?
0: No So, don't just be kind and rewind. Make sure you get those videotapes back to the store. That is ridiculous. It's like me.
1: I did a background check on myself probably about last year, just to see what's going on. I had an issue for, or went for my arrest in 2013.
0: For what?
1: A no-show for a speeding ticket that I hired a lawyer for. But it was cancelled. You could get on you could see that it was cancelled. Well, after I called the attorney that was supposed to be handling that ticket. I was like, well, Look, dude, they have issued a word for my arrest. And they sent me a letter stating for me to turn myself in. And I'm
0: like, What? So for, for our listeners out there in podcast land, if you would like to find Paul, please contact me personally and I will give you his location because I am not harboring a fugitive. <laughs> and now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay, yeah, there we go. But since you're talking about criminals, let's go to this story because this one makes me smile too. This is from CBS News. A man bragged about storming the Capitol on a dating app. Then his oh. match reported him to the FBI. He's so stupid. Well, he's a Trumpster, so, you know, intelligence and Trumpsters don't really seem to go hand in hand. Yeah,
1: they don't, they don't normally go hand in hand, so. But that They're just... I'm not known for their smarts.
0: That story just makes me smile. That's all there is to it. Oh, by the way, FBI, there's a guy that I'm talking to that's bragging about storming the Capitol. Here's pictures of him from his profile. There you go. Thanks. Exactly. It's like, you would think after all this time they would have learned their lesson because people posting on social media are getting turned in, people bragging to their friends are getting turned in. See, so you're still going to brag about it on all these different platforms? Now, one rocket science, article, let me uh, tell you.
1: I read an article or saw something about it. They are—they
0: think they're going to get 500 people for storming the Capitol. I think it was 500. I don't know. I, I, I did see, I haven't seen the footage, but I did see that they released the video of Brian Sicknick being sprayed at the Capitol. Oh, I did see where... Um, What's the? Was that the um, gentleman's name that died? The officer, yeah. The officer, did you
1: see about it? Did you hear about the results of his um, autopsy? No. He did not die from the injuries from that.
0: He oh, that it was natural causes.
1: Or, yeah, he died from other causes. I still cry.
0: Ca- I still cry foul on that.
1: I still call BS. Yeah. They said he passed away with a heart attack, but if, if you ask me, he was probably brought on by that damn insurrection. and would get beat up. That's enough to give anybody a heart attack, fighting back all those people.
0: And another story before we get to some of the entertainment portion. This was from denverpost.com today. Composting human bodies on track to become legal in Colorado. You need a zombie you garden? On, this I is how you that. get a zombie garden. Yeah, I the,
1: saw
0: the, that. the article reads composting human remains appears likely to become an after death option for Coloradans, uh, though funeral homes won't be able to offer it immediately. The Colorado House has passed Senate Bill 21 006 on Tuesday, following the Senate's vote on March 16th. The bill that legalizes natural organic reduction of human remains into soil is headed to the governor's desk for a signature. It will go into effect 90 days after the General Assembly adjourns, but funeral homes will need time to get the space and operations ready before offering the service." So, I don't know about that. Like, I'm, I'm all about being cremated, but I don't know how I feel about using dead people as compost. Well, it's ash to ash, dust to dust. I mean, hello. Uh, and you I die? also wonder how it is affected by organ donors.
1: Well, I'm sure they go ahead now. I don't, uh, you, you probably already know this, but whenever you die, that's the first thing they do is throw you on ice for your or- organ donor, and they immediately take your harvest your organs immediately.
0: Yeah, but I'm I'm wondering, like, uh, does it affect the composts if you uh, all the organs removed? Like, I mean, they can literally u- reuse your skin, so I would rather have everything donated and use what they can than to be turned into composts personally.
1: Um, have you also seen the service that they can do, um, it's, um, you know how they do, what is it, cremations? Now they're doing water cremation. Have you seen that? No. Some funeral homes are offering water water cremations. I'm not sure exactly how that's done, but I guess they immerse your body in water and swish you around like in a tub i don't
0: know until you dissolve I, I couldn't tell you
1: so yeah i just found that
0: to be odd i thought mm, water cremation that sounds kind of gross yeah, that's, that's the first time i've ever heard of it yeah did you want to talk about that taco bell story or um yeah just going from dead bodies to taco bell seems like such a great transition
1: Yeah, there's um, an article that I saw where Taco Bell is actually going to be starting their own meat byproduct instead of, um, what's that company, Beyond Meat?
0: Yep.
1: Yeah, they're going to be doing it um, before Beyond Meat was offered to Taco Bell. Taco Bell's doing their own rendition of it. They're going to be introducing it in their restaurants as a beef um, alternative. In their tacos, so I thought that was pretty cool that they're gonna be doing that. Well, they're doing you know what? it. I'll
0: try it. McDonald's is supposed to sometime this year introduce the McPlant, which is their own meatless alternative. So yeah,
1: I'm, It's like the. I'm really enthralled by the Impossible Whopper. I'm sure you've had one.
0: Oh, I've had several. They're very good.
1: Oh my god, I cannot believe how delicious they are. I've had it several times.
0: I very it's much enjoyed the it's Impossible It's very tasty,
1: and, and I honestly cannot tell the difference between the regular Whopper and that Whopper. I, actually, I think that the plant-based Whopper is
0: more tastier than the regular Whopper. And Beyond Burger does keep improving their stuff. I'm sure oh. Impossible does theirs as well but so as it as it goes along like the beyond burgers are getting juicier which is a really good thing. so but that brings us to the entertainment news stories that I've got. first up announced just a little while ago that I saw 2 pm today actually the new the story was posted. This is from Deadline.com. The Connors stars Sarah Gilbert, John Goodman, Laurie Metcalf, and Lacey Granson close new deals as ABC comedy zeroes in on season four renewal. What? Are you serious? Wow. Doing it without Roseanne. It looks like it's going to do another season, and they're... Looking to do a 20-episode season, so basically the same length as what they've been doing. Um, I will say, because last night I got caught up, there was about four episodes I was behind on. I watched them last night, and there was one... It was one of the, the more dramatic episodes, because, you know, Roseanne always had some dramatic episodes along the way. The Connors has as well. This one dealt with Becky's ex Mark well not her ex because he, he she was a widow but in in real life the actor who played Mark died i think from a drug overdose and on the show he wrecked on his motorcycle and Becky went into rehab for her alcohol abuse and they had a family therapy session with her and Darlene and Jackie and Dan. And Dan started talking about how mad he was at Mark and how much he didn't like Mark and all this. And the, the one conducting the session asked everybody else to leave but Dan and, and Becky. And then Becky got into a point where she was like all tearful talking about how mad she was at Mark for taking the money and her not being able to go to college like she had planned, and that, that put her life so far behind where she was so far ahead, and it was a really good episode. Like if you get the chance, I highly recommend checking it out. I know it's on Hulu, probably on ABC app too. But but it was a really strong episode, and that's something they can do very well as the dramatic. Oh
1: yeah, I remember watching the, whenever I watched Roseanne's show the way they would fuss and yell at each other it felt
0: real yep that was that was part of the charm of the show it was it was very realistic you didn't see a real life type family on there they struggled with everything and that was part oh, of yeah, the they charm struggled. and they still struggle <laughs> they can't and catch you a know, break wellman plastics <laughs> well wellman plastics is back
1: Yep. So there, that's my last name, y'all. So my family owns Wellman Plastics. So the the, the the you know the jig is up. So
0: we are naturally rich, and they work for us. So the what you're saying is, the arrest warrant that's issued for you, they should just garnish the wages from Wellman Plastics. Is that what I'm hearing? Hey, I guess you know whatever keeps me out of jail. I say lock you I'll up. Will, lock him, I'll, up. I'll lock just, him up. Lock him up. Lock him up.
1: I'll, I'll pay off the politician. How about that? So, I'll get yeah. Roger Stone to make some stuff, make up some stuff for me.
0: <laughs> you better watch out because, I just found out today they raided Giuliani's place. So,
1: yeah, I saw that as well. They uh, raided his place. This is getting better and better, isn't it?
0: Yep. But moving on. This is from UPI.com. Fox casts Rosalind Sanchez as Ricardo Montalban descendant in Fantasy Island. Yes, it is another remake, basically. This is going to be continued from the original series, though. It says, Fox announced Tuesday it has cast the lead in its Fantasy Island reboot. Rosalind Sanchez will play Elena Rourke, the host of Fantasy Island. Ricardo Montalban played Mr. Rourke in the original series and Michael Pena played him in Bloomhouse's horror film adaptation in 2020. Fox's press release confirms that Elena Rourke is a descendant of the original Rourke. Elena Rourke has taken over Fantasy Island, quote, to uphold her family's legacy, according to Fox's press release. Fox adds that Elena maintains a calm exterior despite her responsibilities on the island. I think somewhere I saw that she's the granddaughter of Ricardo Montalban's character. I'm not seeing it on this tattoo? article. And his name there's, Yeah, there's no, no word on Tattoo yet. The plane, the plane, I remember that. Fox previously ordered the fi- the Fantasy Island reboot from creators Liz Craft and Sarah Fane in December. The network announced the show's August premiere earlier this month. Now Fox confirms Fantasy Island will premiere August 10th at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The show is currently filming in Puerto Rico. So That's a different location for filming. We don't see very often. Puerto Rico? Yeah, Puerto Rico could most definitely use the help of Hollywood filming there. So I might check it out. I wasn't the hugest fan of Fantasy Island to begin with. I mean, outside of tattoo, the plane, boss, the plane, there really wasn't a whole lot of thrill for me. So it's one that I have not kept up with over the years and couldn't tell you much about the show. Uh,
1: yeah, I don't. Um, I don't. I mean, I was such. A, I was really young when that show was out.
0: Uh, no and you I weren't. just remember watching it. A, a, while I, no, you weren't. Yes, I was.
1: I was just a kid. You were like
0: 80 when that show was out. Huh? You were like 80 when that show was out.
1: You know what, Chris? I'm about done
0: with you. Oh, I've heard that threat so many times.
1: <laughs> um, There's one thing I would like to talk about. Um,
0: a, show, a show. I don't know if you brought it up or not. Are you going to talk about Hocus Pocus 2? No, I haven't seen any new news on it
1: yeah i'm a, i'm a member of some several different groups and they've actually named the director now and also uh the filming dates and when it's going to be out and fletcher is going to be taking the place of adam gateman as the director of the upcoming disney sequel hocus pocus 2 um they're moving forward and they're this they're going to start filming this summer in um like they're going back to Salem and all th- all three of them uh is gonna be there um and they're also gonna be filming in Boston as well for Hocus Pocus 2
0: so and it's gonna be coming out in 2022 so
1: so they're saying June 2022
0: so you got a little over a year to wait dang it no, no. and Do you remember me telling you how good Invincible was the other week?
1: Um, Invincible?
0: Yeah, the animated show on on Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Variety today. Invincible renewed for seasons two and three at Amazon. And the first season finale is this week. So very very happy news right there because seriously anybody out there who has not checked it out if you enjoy superheroes this is really well done it's a really good story it is very violent and there's a lot of bad language in it so it's not a family show but it is an excellent series that is done really well and from what i remember of reading the comics very close to the source material. So I definitely recommend checking it out. And now I got the story that I pulled up specifically for Paul. This is from mirror.co.uk Michael Jackson's daughter, Paris Jackson lands role in American Horror Story. Yes. Paris Jackson has reportedly landed a role in the upcoming season of FX's American Horror Story. The 23-year-old model, who is the only daughter of Michael Jackson, is rumored to be starring in at least one episode of the much-anticipated season 10. The latest news comes as production on the anthology series Returns after filming was dramatically halted last year because of the pandemic. According to TMZ, who claims to have spoken to producers of the upcoming show, Paris will be joining a stellar cast including Sarah Paulson and Macaulay Culkin in the show created by Ryan Murphy. In recent weeks, the showrunner has also confirmed that Kaya Gerber will also be joining the cast. And I have no clue who that is.
1: Yeah, I knew Macaulay Culkin was going
0: to be on it. I had forgotten Um, Macaulay Culkin was going to be on it. So there's two connections to Michael Jackson.
1: Yeah, I was going to say his friend and his daughter...
0: So, it's been a long time since we've seen some American Horror Story, and that last season was really good. Nineteen eighty-four. Did you ever did you see American Horror Story nineteen eighty-four? That,
1: that was actually the very first season that I watched, and then I oh. went
0: back to season one. <laughs> I, I love Murder House. I thought Asylum was really good. Hotel. Asylum I, was really good. Hotel was really good too, and I've seen people hating on it here lately, and I didn't understand Child. that.
1: I am struggling through hotel right now. I can't I just can't
0: Hotel I'm is a like very strong ep- season.
1: I'm on episode four right now. And I'm sorry, coming off of um Kevin? What, was the episode? what
0: was No it? Kevin um, was the third. No, season. it was
1: Roanoke. Roanoke. Roanoke was the season before Hotel. Coming off of Roanoke and going to this it's it
0: sucks. Really, it does. Uh, you actually liked yeah. Roanoke? I loved it. That was one it. of the worst seasons they I liked, had. I, the abs- no, I
1: liked it. I liked that it had two different stories in it, and I
0: liked that. Well, the the absolute worst season is the election year. <laughs> Terrible yeah, season. That. Now, is that is that
1: after Roanoke?
0: I mean, is that yeah. after Hotel? Yeah, that was that was the year that Trump won the election that one came out and that that, was part of the problem was it was still way too fresh and so maybe going back and watching that now would be better, but watching it when it aired, it was easily the worst season they did. Yeah.
1: um, Right now I'm, I'm painfully going through hotel. I just, it's not grabbing me. It's just weird. It's not I'm, scary.
0: It's just weird. I really enjoyed the hotel. There's
1: nothing okay. scary about it. The was scary to me.
0: The hotel had all the serial killers from the past, and the the whole hotel storyline, and like, there's so much good in. And you know, I've I've grown tired of Lady Gaga through the years, but she was really good in that series. Well,
1: she was good in Rono too.
0: Yeah. I didn't think she was as good in Roanoke as she was in Hotel. Hotel was a much better character, showed much better acting.
1: Well, she got she's getting to show herself actually her acting skills instead of screwing everybody in Roanoke the way she's doing in that one. But anyways,
0: oh she still screws some people in, in Hotel too though. So, so don't oh, kill her out I've yet.
1: Already, I've already seen.
0: <laughs> but. But anyways, but yeah, I, I like I'm it. looking forward we're to new season. I'm and, just,
1: um, I mean, a Hotel. I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not. I'm not sure if I'm
0: going to even finish it. You, you should. It's really good. But moving on real quick now, because we're down to 17 minutes on this part. This is from UPI.com. Amelia Clark joins cast of Marvel's Secret Invasion, and it says that she is best known. For portraying, and I can't even begin to pronounce the character's name because I never watched the show. But she was on Game of Thrones. She'll join a cast that also includes Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Kingsley Benadire, and Olivia Coleman. And no release date has been set. Next up, for the animation lovers out there. Fox announced this week that they are doing a Flintstones sequel series. It is 20 years after the original series. It takes place 20 years after the original series. Uh, Elizabeth Banks will be voicing Pebbles, and Fred is on the verge of retirement in this series. So... I'm reserving judgment on it. I would much rather see Seth MacFarlane redo the fl- the Flintstones because he wanted to do it legitimately and just make it wow. a modern version with modern devices like cell phones and such. But this one I I'm not going to pass judgment until I actually see it. And it's not even a guarantee that it's going to make it. It's Still in the planning stages, but the Flintstones is always a popular commodity, so very well could be good. (laughs) That
1: takes me back to Carowinds, the Hanna-Barbera land. Do you remember that, Chris? Not really. It's been a long time since I've been to
0: Carowinds.
1: Carowinds back in the day, back whenever I was like in my teenager years, they had Hanna Barbera land, and it was kinda its own thing, own part, its own part of the park. And it had the Flintstones, it had Smurfs, they had Smurf Island at one time. Uh, you would get on the boat and go around on a paddle boat. It's a not a paddle boat, but like a you know, like the Mississippi Queen or something, the big paddle boat that's, that
0: has the big wheel in the back and paddles. I, I, I think they were starting <laughs> to phase it out when I went because I went, I think it was after Paramount had bought it. And yeah, I so remember the Scooby Doo Paramount. roller coaster was there, and I remember Smurf Island was there, but I don't remember much of anything else. Yeah, um, you would get on the, you
1: would go to Smurf Island and get. Um, blue cotton candy, you get blue ices and stuff like that, and I'm at Papa Smurf, and all that, but yeah, it's Barbera land. It's, it's actually pretty cool, so. <clears throat>
0: the, oh, and
1: they had the Scooby-Doo roller coaster. Now it's named something else, but back then it was the Scooby-Doo roller coaster. Yep.
0: And <clears throat> the final entertainment story I've got I saw this one today as well. It actually was dated yesterday. This is from Deadline.com. Titans. Vincent Kartheiser cast as Scarecrow in season three of the HBO Max series. Awesome. If if anybody out there who hasn't seen Titans, I will say the second season is so much better than the first. But the first lays all the groundwork. So I highly recommend seeing the first season. And there are some really good episodes in the first season. The The fact that they're bringing Scarecrow in, who is my favorite Batman villain, just because of what he is, makes me very happy for this show to come back. It says, The actor is known for his appearing as Pete Campbell in AMC's Mad Men. His additional television credits include Hulu's Casual and The Path, Saints and Strangers, Das Boot, and the O.A. He has appeared in film in the films A Kind of Murder, In Time, Most Likely to Murder, and The Most Hated Woman in America. So I've not seen anything that he was in, but I do want to see The Most Hated Woman in America. So, okay, I
1: got you piqued my interest. Who is the most hated woman in America? Uh, I'm
0: thinking it was something played by Octavia Spencer. It might. Not have been that one. According to the Republicans,
1: out would have been Hillary Clinton.
0: <laughs> I hit the wrong button. Let's see. The most hated woman in America, TVMA 2017. A true story of much-debated rise and demise of a woman named Madeline Murray O'Hare who was known as the Head Atheist Activist of America. She founded the oh. organization American Atheist. That's why. Okay. It may not have had Octavia Spencer in it. I was thinking of something else with that one. but Cast includes Melissa Leo, Peter Fonda, Sally Kirkland, Rory Cochran, Josh Lucas, Adam Scott... Uh, Juno Temple, Vincent Kartheiser, who's the Scarecrow now, Brandon Michael Smith, and I'm not seeing any other names that really ring a bell here. But it did, It looked really good. I want to say it was on Hulu, maybe? I can't remember exactly who had it Excuse on. Me. It might have been Netflix but anyways, that's, I did want to see it, I just haven't ever gotten around to it. And before we get to the sad news, did you have anything else to talk about?
1: Um, we're going to say, well, um, it's, it's part of our ongoing series that we've been talking about, so I think we'll talk about that next.
0: so go ahead. Okay. Well, first up, before we get to those that we've lost this past week, I don't know if you saw it, this article was on Yahoo.com from People Magazine. Steve McMichael, known as Mongo, he was part of the Four Horsemen in WCW, and he was a Chicago Bears football player. He was diagnosed with ALS this week. Oh,
1: Mongo, yeah. He was actually in the movie uh, Blazing Saddles.
0: No. He would not have been old enough to be in Blazing Saddles, I wouldn't think.
1: The one, they had a character
0: on there called Mongo so I thought that was you know. sorry. No, Mongo was his nickname. Oh, okay. It was... He, I think he started out as an uh, interv- or as a, a commentator on WCW and then ended up in the rain and became one of the four horsemen. And no offense to him, but his in-rain was not good. Like, there was a Twitter account it's, it's now been changed to Mongo and Friends, but it was dedicated to clips of him screwing up in the ring. And there were a lot of clips. And some of them were really funny. But it, was like, it wasn't that he didn't have passion for it, he just didn't have the talent for wrestling. Oh, here's an article about Eric
1: Bischoff on whether it was a mistake putting Mongo McMichael in the ring. Hmm. And that's
0: posted uh, August well, in the I just saw that pop up uh, it was, uh, WGN News uh, Is credited with interviewing him And it said that McMichael stated I'm not going to be out in the public anymore You're not going to see me out Doing appearances Hell I can't even sign my name anymore And everybody's going to be speculating Where's McMichael what's wrong with him I'm here to tell everyone I've been diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, so I'm not going to be a public figure anymore, he continued. So that's, it's very sad, but hopefully they can find a cure for it or at least something to ease everything, all the symptoms. But not a good diagnosis regardless. And that brings us to those that we've lost this past week. Of course, Shock G, who oh, introduced. Oh man, that hit me hard. See, I, I wasn't really aware of him. I knew of the Digital Underground, but I wasn't a big fan. But it says that he introduced Tupac Shakur, and he was, from what I'm understanding, a pretty prolific producer and such. So. Oh yeah. but he was only 57 when he passed and I'm not seeing a cause of death. here it is. His death was confirmed by the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office which did not provide a cause. So, also the rest of these are not going to be as well known, but their their work is very well known. This one from news.yahoo.com from BBC News Jim Steinman, Bat Out of Hell and Total Eclipse of the Heart composer dies. Jim Steinman, the colorful composer behind hits like Bat Out of Hell and Total Eclipse of the Heart, has died at the age of 73. His brother Bill told the Associated Press that the songwriter and producer had died of kidney failure on Monday after being ill for some time. And trying to find some other stuff that he had written... the high camp over the top production was often imitated but never bettered including by steinman himself although he came close on "Bat out of hell's 1993 sequel which spawned the worldwide number one single i'd do anything for love but i won't do that he later won the album of the year grammy for his work on celine dion's falling into you And worked on Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Whistle Down the Wind, which opened in the West End in 1998. So, lots of stuff that he worked on. Among the composer's other famous hits were Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero, Barry Manilow's Read'em and Wheat," Air Supply's Making Love Out of Nothing at All, and the Cher Meatloaf Duet, Dead Ringer for Love. I don't know anything about that song. So I have to look that one up.
1: I mean, I can
0: look it up, but I can't play it. Yeah. Well, that's that's one I'm definitely going to have to check out. This next one, Deadline.com. Bernie Kahn dies. Prolific writer, producer for Get Smart, Bewitched, and More was 90. Bernie Kahn, a comedy writer, producer who penned more than 100 episodes of television, including Bewitched, The Adams Family, Get Smart, and Three's Company, died april 21st at the motion picture home in woodland hills california he was 90. born on april 26 1930 in brooklyn he began his showbiz career after a stint in the u.s army his first job as a producer and writer was at nbc's monitor radio he later would join the bob and ray comedy radio show as a staff writer and was its last surviving original scribe he also worked on a number of popular tv game shows in the early 1960s including NBC's Your First Impression, but the bulk of his work would be in sitcoms. Over the years, he wrote for such series as Get Smart, Maud, The Adams Family, The Love Boat, Tabitha, Three's Company, The Courtship of Eddie's Father, The Partridge Family, The Lucy Show, Love American Style, James at 15, and more than a dozen episodes of Bewitched. He also created the sitcom Joe and Valerie, which aired on NBC in 1978 to 79. So, definitely a lasting body of work there from him. And finally, this one's from ComicBook.com. Charles Beeson, Supernatural and Revolution director, dies. Charles Beeson, the British television director who had a long career of working on shows like Supernatural, Fringe, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles... Revolution, Person of Interest, and The Mentalist Has Died of a Heart Attack And I'm not Seeing an age But But definitely We've we've definitely Seen some of his shows on Supernatural Oh yeah And I've seen the entire run Of Supernatural and Terminator The Sarah Connor Chronicles, both of which I enjoyed a lot So, our hearts and thoughts go out to all the family and friends and loved ones of those that we've mentioned here tonight. And that brings us... What was his last name? Beeson. B-E-E-S-O-N. But that brings us to the end of the news portion tonight. We'll be back with reviews of the Tina Turner documentary on HBO Max and... Get On Up, starring Chadwick Boseman, which is available currently on Netflix. Stay tuned, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. As always, we'll start off the second half with the top ten movies of the weekend. And, of course, I'm going to mention her because, you know, I love her. Wonder Woman dropped from 15 to 19, $50,294, an 18-week total of $46,436,755. So just to keep people up to date with where Wonder Woman 1984 is while it's available to buy on Blu-ray and DVD and digital. So, number 10, down from 9, The Courier, which I... Do not know anything... There's several films in the top ten that I've not heard anything about. But number nine, down from seven, The Girl Who Believes in Miracles, debuting at number eight, Together, Together. Down from five to seven, with $720,522 in its ninth week, Tom and Jerry. Down from three to six with $1,463,664 in its fourth week, The Unholy. And you'll start to see these totals are way up from what they've been. Raya and the Last Dragon dropped from four to five, with its eighth week, $1,741,058. So already in the top six, we've got million-dollar movie-making here. Yeah. Down from two to four with $1,742,165 in its fifth week. Nobody, which I do want to see. Down from number one to number three after four weeks. $4,290,232. A grand total so far of $86,666,076. Godzilla vs. Kong. Number two, its first week in release, $21,144,800, Demon Slayer the movie, Mugen Train, uh, I'm guessing is how you say it. And number one, with $23,302,503, also available on HBO Max, Mortal Kombat. So, I do want to see
1: that. I, have you seen it yet? I
0: don't have any desire to see it. You don't like fighting movies? I've never been a fan of Mortal Kombat.
1: Well I haven't been I've never played it. Well, no, I lied. I did play it a couple times many, many years ago. But um it was at friends' houses. I never did have it at my house, but um but uh it was
0: actually really cool to play. Yeah, I just it was never on my radar. I don't really care for video games, and I don't care for movies based on video games. So it's just not one. Like if you pick it, I can already tell you I'm going to hate it. <laughs> just because well, it's I not. Just watch it and not talk about it. So <laughs> if, you know if, that won't be one of the ones that we watch
1: or choose to watch. I'll just watch it and I'll just talk about it like you do well, on some of your shows. Yeah,
0: which I'm about to do because you didn't get to see the Academy Awards this past Sunday because you're a loser! Oh, Lord. Anyways. Anyways, obviously the, the news is that it is one of the worst feud Oscar shows ever. And, of course, the idiot that used to be in the presidential seat had his statement about how... One of the things he said is it used to be called the Academy Awards and now they just call it the Oscars and that's part of the problem. I'm like... It's always been called the Oscars, and it's always been called the Academy Awards. I don't know what he was trying to say there, but for me personally, I really liked this approach. It was more intimate, and like the room was really well lit. It was a really small theater that they were in, and it felt more like old Hollywood. It was intimate setting. There weren't... Tons and tons of people in the audience. And you could see everybody. Like Castiel from Supernatural got caught on the camera at one point. Don't know why he was there. They said he was friends with whoever he was sitting with. But it just, that one caught me. I was like, I saw him on there and I was like, was that Castiel? And found out, sure enough, it was Castiel. Misha Collins himself. Misha Collins, yeah. And... The, the one thing... Well, there was a couple things I didn't like. One was the, the songs were not performed in this theater, and they were shown in the pre-show. So I only got to see one of the performances for the Best Motion Picture... or Best Original Song from Motion Picture. And I like to see those performances, so I didn't, didn't know they were going to do them in the pre-show... So I wasn't trying to watch the pre-show because it's red carpet and that part never gets me. I'm more about the awards. But the other issue I have is my favorite part of the Oscars every year is the In Memoriam. This year, they chose Stevie Wonder's As to play while they showed the pictures, which was fine. The problem was... They sped through some of the pictures so quickly that you could barely read the name before it went to the next person. And then others would just linger. Like, you could see the name, you could see the face. And that topped off with the fact that they cut the song early. Like, there was still more song left. And they could have gone ahead and played it. And slowed down some of the pictures... So you could see everybody better. That I had a problem with. Because to me that is. Just the last tribute. To these wonderful people. Who have brought us so much joy through the years. And it's an important part of the award show. So. Please don't speed through them anymore Oscars. Because they deserve their tribute. And. I will say the one that hit me the hardest when I watched it was Conchata Pharrell. Like I didn't realize how much I loved that woman until her picture showed up on the screen. And I, I was like, (gasps) and could not stand seeing her face up there because I loved her so much and didn't watch two and a half men with her. So the only things that I really knew of her were the sitcom ER and mystic pizza with Julia Roberts, both, which were really good. But I just absolutely loved her as a person and an actress. And oh, she she was excellent
1: on Two and a Half Men, I'll tell you that. <laughs> she actually made that show a lot.
0: And, but she was just... Like, I don't know what it was about her. And it could be that she kind of reminded me of my mom in the fact that on ER she played a nurse and she was a heavier lady. So... Both of which are my mom's strong, independent woman, which was my mom, even though my mom was married and happily married from the time they got married till the time my dad passed. So I think that had a little bit to do with it was I saw a mom in her, but yeah. still, she was just a fabulous woman that I still miss. But the other bad thing was they did best director earlier on in the show and they did best picture went to commercial and came back and did best actor actress and then best actor and that would have been fine but every year it's best actress best actor go to break or and continue and then come back it's best director and best picture yeah and this year desperately needed it to be that way because they ended with best actor Anthony Hopkins won, surprised everybody because Chadwick Boseman was nominated and everybody felt he was going to win, and we discussed it, was not his best performance, was not Oscar worthy. So I don't fault the Academy for not having Chadwick Boseman win that award. However, Anthony Hopkins won, and he wasn't there to accept, so they announced the winner, And say, we accept this award on his behalf. Good night, everybody. And that was the end. I was like, this is the worst ending that they could have possibly had. Like, never. Well, I I read on Twitter that um, he thought he wasn't going to win. Well, he probably did. Because, I mean, honestly, who thought Chadwick Boseman was going to lose? He had the posthumous part coming in. He was well-loved. He was a fantastic actor. So, yeah, I I think everybody expected Chadwick Boseman to be the winner. And he had won several awards leading up to this show. So, but, this just, Oscars needs to look at this for the future, because this is always going to be a possibility, that no matter who you think, hands down, will be the winner, They may not win, and if you go with Best Picture and Best Director in the finale, there's going to be somebody there, especially Best Picture. You're always going to have somebody there who can accept the award for Best Picture. And that's what they need. So I think they need to go back Best Actress, Best Actor, Best Director, then Best Picture for the end of the awards. Because, like I said, this just... It ends with nothing. There was, like, no fanfare, nothing. It just ends. And I wonder if they did that because of time. Well, they were over, but they weren't horribly over. And I wondered that about the the In Memoriam. And I'm like, there's just certain things that you should not push for time. And the In Memoriam is definitely one that should not be sped up just to get through because of the time frame. Yeah: The two highlights of the night, though, if you haven't seen it, you need to go on. I've, I've read that it was scripted, and I'm fine with that because it was still a fantastic moment and made me love Glenn Close even more. They I did heard something about her doing something. Yeah, they did a music trivia. It was Oscar-nominated Oscar winner or neither. And they went to different people in the audience and had them answer and played a snippet of the song. And then they came to Glenn Close and they played the Butt. And she gave all these facts about the song. That it was from a Spike Lee film. I can't even remember who the group was that she said did it. Talked about how it was a wonderful song and should have been nominated, but it didn't win because it wasn't nominated. And then they got Glenn Close to do... The butt on the Oscars. It was amazing. And like I said, it just made me love Glenn Close even more. So, and then the other, hands down, the best acceptance speech of the night. If you get a chance to see it, I highly suggest it because she was pure joy watching. It was the best. Supporting Actress win for Yoo Jung Young from Minari. And Brad Pitt was the presenter of the award. She got up on stage and talked about how thrilled she was to finally meet Brad Pitt. And just, like, oh, I need to catch my composure and all this. I mean, it was a wonderful acceptance speech. And just... Oh, she, she, she met her celebrity crush. Oh, it was pure joy. And this is, like... I don't know how old she is, but she is definitely an older woman. Born June 19th, 1947. So that makes her, what, 73. She'll be 74 this year. And thrilled to meet Brad Pitt. And just, like I said, it was pure joy watching her on the screen. And it it harkens back, and I know people will mocked this and everything but one of the all-time great acceptance speeches because of their pure joy was when matt damon and ben affleck won for goodwill hunting you still remember seeing that acceptance because it was so much joy this is going to be one of those acceptances she was just phenomenal and it was not anything special it was just her And it was great. So, like, if you get the chance to see that clip, definitely watch it. I'll have to look it up on YouTube. And to to make the story even better, as she left with her Oscar, she got to go arm in arm with Brad Pitt. So, everything was good in the end. Cool. So, yeah, why this year's show was down so much in the ratings, I really don't know. But I really enjoyed it. Like I said, the, the intimate theater feel of it. They gave little yeah. tidbits of the actors and actresses, like things that led them to be acting or like things they wanted to do in their careers, whatever. It was just little tidbits all through the night. And I really enjoyed that scaled-down Oscars feel. There was no host, which might have helped, but... Honestly, are you watching it for the host, or are you watching it for the awards? Because me, I watch it for the awards. Like, Billy Crystal was always deemed such a great host, and I never cared about Billy Crystal. The awards were what I watched it for. And so, don't know what happened that people didn't watch this year, but they didn't watch this year. Didn't
1: Ellen host it one year?
0: She hosted the Emmys. Yeah, she did host the the Oscars. Because she, she did that thing where she stayed up all night afterwards to film her show the next morning. So, like, she did the after parties and all that, and then at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning the next day, she filmed her show. Her show. So. Wired on coffee. Or oh, something, because I've, I've done those long shifts where you have to work late into the hours, and because... I work second shift, so I go in at 3. We have a thing called Red Dot where if they don't have enough coverage, you have to stay and work to the, the shift after. And I've worked from 3 p.m. until 7.30 a.m. the next morning. And it gets rough, let me tell you. Yeah, gravy. That's, a, that's, a, that's 18 hours. No, that's 16 hours.
1: 16 hours, excuse me, I couldn't
0: count. Well, you get two 30-minute breaks, so it basically comes down to 15 and a half. But, yeah, it's it's a long, long shift. Especially when you don't wow. plan to be there and don't... Because you can do overtime and work those hours. And that's one thing where you choose to do it. But when you get made to do it, it's even worse. And... And I completely understand because it is a hospital. We have patients that have to be cared for and all that. But it doesn't make it any easier to swallow when you have to stay. Trust me on that. Imagine that. But that brings us to the reviews this week. First up was Paul's Choice. Like I said, it was on Netflix. Get On Up starring Chadwick Boseman. IMDB ranked it 6.9 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes gave it 80%, and Metacritic gave it a 71. Paul, I'm going to let you take it. Well, this
1: is actually a story... um, This movie actually took place uh, back in... What year was this? 2014. And it's it's a movie about James Brown's life, about him growing up as a very, very... Poor kid. Uh, I did not realize that he lived in a shack when he was a child with no electricity. Um, And he grew up to be one of the most influential um, music um, icons in the modern era. I mean, and even still people are looking up to him today. Uh, It's just an amazing, I I did not realize how hard he worked. Where he came from nothing uh, to be such the superstar that he was before his passing. Um, it also chronicles, uh, you know, his, you know, him being James Brown and him being so flashy and his dance moves and the way he recorded for, you know, his whole business savvy. Uh, he was a very self-made. Soul, rock, R and B superstar um, from the get go, uh, and also sadly enough, I did not realize this, but I did not realize how mean he was.
0: Yeah, um, that's that's what I was gonna say for for my part of it was I was never the biggest James Brown fan, but this film. I mean, really, I have respect for him, but this film the way it depicted him. Well, this really oh made God. me dislike him. Like, i I know that they were going for realism, but I really came away from this film disliking James Brown. Like he had done some songs that I'd enjoyed through the years, but I was never a fan fan. This one yeah. really turned me against him. Like I still like the songs, but he was a pretty awful person from what this film shows. Yeah, it's
1: just like, it's just almost like the law didn't apply to him. Because, you know, he always, you know, while we're talking, we refer to ourselves as me, myself, and I, you know, when we're talking about ourselves. But he's like, well, James Brown don't like this. Well, James Brown, you know, is going to be wearing this outfit. James, he always talked to himself as in third person. And isn't that some kind of a mental, a sign of a mental disability? Isn't it some kind of, or is that just narcissism?
0: Mm. Wasn't Bob Dole kind of the same way? Referred to himself as Bob, Bob Dole. He referred to himself as Bob Dole,
1: but yeah, it's just like he just kept referring to himself as James Brown, you know. Well, James Brown wants well, you on stage. James Brown wants you on this next number. James Brown, you know. Um, but I, like I said, I did not realize he's that mean. I just, wow, it was very eye opening. And Patrick, and I mean, Chadwick Bozeman. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine how much studying he
0: had to do to... Well, i tell you right here, because it's on the trivia on IMDb. Chadwick Boseman okay, trained for two months to learn how to sing and dance properly. Chadwick Boseman did all his own dancing. Says, so
1: when he did those splits and came back up without using his hands, that was all Chadwick Boseman?
0: Yep and there were several surprise appearances because I did not look into this film. I knew it was Chadwick Boseman in the starring role. I did not realize the supporting cast in this film, and there were some great names in it. But one of the trivia things here, Dan Aykroyd and the real James Brown appeared together in the Blues Brothers, Dr. Detroit, the Super Bowl Thirty One halftime show, and Blues Brothers 2000. So... That gives another bit of insight in the fact that they had somebody in the film who actually knew James Brown, probably heard the stories firsthand from James Brown, and could help them along the way with re- recreating things. Yeah. So and um. it does not go into the Blues Brothers. It doesn't go into Doctor Detroit. It doesn't go into the Rocky song. It kinda skips all of that and shows his early career and one thing I really didn't like was the jumping around on it. He was
1: going it was going like back in time, present time, then it go back in time, then present time. He just
0: kept doing that. And it would skip around in the present time too. Like you kept like it was back to the start of his career, then so far into his career, then back a little ways in his career, then back to his childhood, then back to where it was. And it was just, I, I understand trying to maximize it for Chadwick Boseman on the screen, probably. But yeah. I think a better flow would have been tell the childhood story, then move along in natural order. Because it's, it's not that you can't keep up with it. It's not that it takes away from the film a lot. But I just think it would have been a better film run in order than trying to skip all over the place constantly. Like you, you have no well, also, problems understanding it, but it's just the skipping around.
1: Well, also here lately, it feels like every movie we're watching
0: it has Octavia Spitzer in it. Well, that, that, I was also going to say, a lot of the movies we've been watching here lately are doing this skipping around thing, too because there was the one I can't remember which one it was I think it was one of your choices that oh it was the one with George Clooney where they kept skipping around and you could not follow what was going on yeah
1: the one that he was in solitary like in the snow or whatever it was but
0: but Octavia Spencer was in it Uh, love her as I've said before another one that I love reunited with Octavia Spencer on the screen Viola Davis Viola Davis yeah and course, I mentioned Dan Aykroyd. Lenny James played James Brown's father. Viola Davis was his mother. Uh, Craig Robinson played Maceo Parker, who was part of the band. And if you don't know Craig Robinson, if you've seen the Pizza Hut commercials with Pac-Man, that's Craig Robinson. Uh-huh. So, a good, strong supporting cast. And Anjou Ellis played Vicki Anderson. Uh, Jill Scott played Dee Dee Brown. But it says of Anjanou Ellis in the trivia here, this is Anjanou Ellis's third film based on a real-life musician. She appeared with the real James Brown and Undercover Brother in 2002. So, lots of talent in this film. The one thing I can say is it wasn't a real thrill. Like, I don't know what it was about this film. I don't know if it was... The fact that I ended up hating James Brown more after watching this that hurt the film. But I wasn't overly thrilled with it. Like, if you were going to give Chadwick Boseman an Oscar, though, his performance as James Brown is pretty Oscar-worthy. Because he was very much on point. Yeah, you could tell it was Chadwick Boseman's voice trying to sound like James Brown. And I don't think he act, I, I mean, it says that he did the, his own singing, but I was kind of thinking that had to have been James Brown's music playing. That it was some of way those, too close. I think
1: close. he was pantomiming to it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think some of it he was pantomiming
0: to. So. But, but, yeah, I just. Overall, it's not a classic film to me. I I feel like Rotten Tomatoes got the score really high. Metacritic and IMDb got it more correct.
1: Yeah, I chose it because we were go- We you know with the other show that we were doing it was it was a music theme. So I went with this one being a music theme. Um, I learned a lot of things about James Brown. I wish I wouldn't have known. But um, I do know that you know he was, you know Michael You know we was talking about michael jackson earlier michael jackson stole a lot of his moves from james brown when he was a kid growing up so he he would perform it you know do a lot of his dance moves when he was a kid but uh anyways like i said i wish there was some things i didn't know about him that i found out in that movie but that's what makes it such a good movie is you know it reveals some of the truth and i don't know if any of it was sensationalized or not but um but, but it was um you know, while I could understand, it was pretty much on the point of who he was as a person.
0: I'm looking but up you here. Said, but you said, um, what was it you said? how? You, you said you didn't really get into it or whatever it was? Yeah, it, it just wasn't the, the film for me, really. Like it wasn't bad, and I can see what they were doing, but... It just... Basically, it makes you hate James Brown more than anything. Oh, yeah. And... I'm looking through the awards listing here, and... There were no Academy Award nominations. Nominee for Screen Actors Guild Outstanding Action Performance by a Stunt Ensemble, so... Winner of the African American Film Critics Association Best Ensemble, nominated for Best Picture. BET Awards nominee, Best Actress Viola Davis. So it didn't really win anything major. Motion Picture Sound Editors USA, winner, Best Sound Editing. Music in a Musical Feature Film. New York Film Critics Online, winner, Best Use of Music. Santa Barbara International Film Festival winner, Chadwick Boseman, for the Virtuoso Award, which I don't know what that is. But those are the only wins it actually received. No Oscar nominations. And while I'm thinking about it, what I didn't pay attention to last week when I said the two Popes were nominated, they were nominated last year for the Oscars, not this year. Oh, okay. so. They were nominated in those categories. It was just last year's Oscars. Oh, okay. But, but yes, overall, it's probably a pretty good, accurate portrayal of James Brown, but like I said, it just made me dislike him more.
1: It made me not like him. (laughs) So I kind of regret watching it.
0: But, again, gotta say it, the acting by Chadwick Boseman, on point, very well done. And one thing I will say, I don't know how it actually played out in real life, but the the part where James Brown names the famous Flames and then they end up getting their record contract, and the famous Flames are going to be James Brown and his famous Flames... And they'll be working salaried while James Brown will be making all this money. Honestly, I could see the that James Brown was trying to do the best for the band that he could. Yeah. They didn't take it that way and they got upset about it and walked out. But to me, I thought it was... I mean, it's business and that's the way it's going to go down. Yeah. So. Yeah, I saw that and I'm like... They didn't see it that James Brown was trying to save, or trying to save them. Yeah, so so on that point, I can defend James Brown from this film. But yeah. But yeah, and I don't know what else to really say about it. I mean, it's, it's a good picture to show you the bad side of James Brown. I guess would be the best way to put it. Well, probably it. the realistic
1: part of James Brown. I yeah. mean, we really didn't know he was a SOB.
0: Yeah. But do you want to give your rating, or you want me to go first? You go ahead and go first. Okay. Like, like I said, the, it's built up by the performance by Chadwick Boseman very definitely. That is a very strong performance, a very quality performance, and he really did nail it. Like, if you see him moving... It's like watching James Brown moving. So he really did a fantastic job there. No doubt about it. I mean,
1: you really would have thought if you didn't know any better that that was James Brown on the screen. That's how realistic it
0: was. The story, like I said, jumped around too much. Wasn't thrilled by that. Like, Like I said, it didn't make it hard to follow. It just made it kind of annoying. And disliking James Brown from this performance was also bad. Um but the, the production value is very strong. Of course, the music, like we said, it mentions that Chadwick Boseman studied the singing and the dancing for two months, but it sounds like they used the legitimate James Brown recordings, and there was a thing in the trivia on IMDb that Spike Lee was supposed to direct it, but because the licensing for the music took so long, he had to leave the project for other commitments so i believe it was truly the songs of james brown by james brown and overall it just it didn't pull me in really well but like i said the chadwick Bozeman's performance boosts my score so i'm going to give it a three out of five mostly because of chadwick Bozeman.
1: Well, that's where I'm going to agree with you. Um, he had a phenomenal performance. I mean, uh, but what is Viola Davis as his mother, correct? Yes. She, I mean, I do not realize what kind of hell that woman had on her life either. Yeah. And um, uh, his mother getting beat. Uh, that, I mean, the whole movie depicting everything and him, being, him basically being self-made. That's what he did. He made he self made his brand, and I respect him for that. But the way he treated people while getting there was just awful. Um, but anyways, Pat Chadwick Bozeman played a great role in this. Very believable as James Brown. Like there, there were some points during the movie, I actually forgot that that was not James Brown up there on that stage performing. Yeah.
0: That's how good he was. And we're going to talk more about it, too, with the next review, but it goes back to, like, the... What's Love got to do with it, where Angela Bassett performed as Tina Turner. Looking at the person, you see the, the actual actor. You can tell, looking at it, that it's Chadwick Boseman. You can tell, looking at her, that she was Angela Bassett. But the way Chadwick Boseman lost himself in the character said a lot for his ability.
1: Oh, yeah. He's a... He's a... He's a uh, very, very professional actor in that way. But um, getting back to... But anyways, I really enjoyed it, but I hated it at the same time. <laughs> I do suggest that everyone sees it. Se- sees it, God Almighty. I do suggest that everyone see it. It's a very informative movie. Like I said, I did not realize that James Brown was so mean, but anyway, it does follow his life pretty much throughout his whole life, you know, up until the point where he got arrested, um, and, but anyways, I'm going to stick with Chris, I'm going to give it a three out of five as well, so, um, but, uh, like I said, I chose it because it was keeping with the theme of music
0: this week. And, so, and it comes off the Oscars pretty well because Chadwick Boseman just got upset by Anthony Hopkins in the Oscars, so... Yeah. Timely, timely review there. Timely review. Yep. Yeah. and so, And right. then that brings us to my choice, which was Tina, the HBO original documentary. It premiered on HBO and HBO Max March 27th of this year. IMDb gave it 8.1 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, 91%, and Metacritic, 81 And this started off kind of slow. And I wasn't real thrilled with it for about the first 20 minutes. But then it finally picked up and started getting more into the details. Because it started off, it was a, a, a tape recording of her interview for, was it People Magazine? From, From People like, Magazine, 1981, yeah. And yeah, that's interesting, but... Don't build a documentary on this interview. Let's get some more footage and... They kind of had to do a backstory, of course. And... But... I gotta say... That this documentary... Did build the film What's Love Got To Do With It in my mind. Because... You see that... From Tina's point anyways that What's Love Got to Do With It was pretty darn accurate as far as the depiction of the story. And, I mean, it's been years since I've seen What's Love Got to Do With It, but anybody out there, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. It was a very good film. But the, the thing that stuck out to me from the film was Ike hitting her in the limo, and then her beating him up and going to the hotel, and trying to get a room for the night to get away from him, and then demanding that she gets to keep her name, if nothing else, in the court. And all of that is brought up in this documentary, and she supports that that's the story. Like In the documentary, it says something about her having... Was it 37 cents and change? It was
1: 37 cents and change, and that's basically all she had.
0: Like a gas card, and she was promising that if they would help her out she would get back and pay them and I'm sure she did and she got in touch with her manager or somebody who secretly got her out on a plane and hit her in Los Angeles and then she did mention that she gave up everything in court except her name because she wanted the recognition that she had worked for and it also goes into the story of the album "What's Love Got to Do with It," which I really learned a lot on that part as well. Yeah, I had no clue that the you know
1: you, United States didn't want to give her another chance. That's like you know, and then uh, overseas in London, she was like a god. So yeah. she went over to London and. Wow, in two weeks they recorded What's Love Got to Do With It? I mean, mean, uh,
0: Private Dancer, the album, in two weeks? That's amazing. And something else that kind of led to that album, which really hit with me because it's one of my favorites, kind of the reason that happened was Olivia Newton-John. Yes, uh, I forgot about that part. They, they were talking about how Olivia Newton-John had this special, and she wanted strong female singers on it. And she had Tony Tennille, Peaches from Peaches and Herb, Tina Turner, and I can't remember who all else was in it. It was like six of them that they had brought in with Olivia. And was it Roger Davies was the manager that took a shining to Tina Turner? and I think it was. Kind of picked Tina went to him as for her manager and got this whole ball rolling. So, Olivia Newton John is kind of the catalyst for Tina Turner's hugest success. I
1: think it's amazing. And I did not know that um, What's Love Got to Do with It was performed by, you know, some British pop group before
0: her. Yeah, and it was terrible, let me tell you, because they played on it. It, it, it was, was almost
1: like a
0: a British knockoff Abba, and they they mentioned that she toured. She and Ike opened for the Rolling Stones, and she had no clue who the Rolling Stones were at that point. And they there was mention of her teaching Mick Jagger the moves on stage. Which yeah. after hearing that, you're like, well, yeah, I can see that now. I never saw it before, but. The, the most tragic part of this documentary, though, I thought, was, you know, you remember Tina as being very lively on stage and moving constantly, and it was filmed in 2019, I believe she was 80? 81. Was she 81 at that time, or... Because I can't remember what her actual age is. I'm going to look it up real no, quick. But,
1: right now she's 81. I should have been 79 that
0: year. Yeah, so she she would have been 70... Well, she was born November 26, 1939. So depending on when they filmed it in 2019, which you could easily find it if you want. I'm not going to take the time to look it up right now. But it was coinciding with the opening of Tina the Musical on Broadway. Yeah. And... It was. The way it looked is that she's got a bit of an unsteady gait now. Because every time she's, she was walking, she was holding somebody. She was kind of frail looking. Yeah. And that's just so sad to see. And I'm, I understand that she's almost 80 at that point. I want to say, you've
1: you got to remember, she really didn't rocket into star, superstardom until she's in her 50s. 40s. Well, I'm talking about as a solo person. Solo career. Well... Because Private Dancer came out when she... When she toured for Private Dancer, she was 51 years old.
0: No. She... Because that album came out, what, 1984? Yeah. She would have been... 40, well, she was talking about... 43, she's talking about doing 44. a Private
1: Dancer tour. She's talking about doing a tour in her 50s.
0: Well, she's done more tours since then. But that tour, that, but she wouldn't have been about, 50 until 1989.
1: But in that show, she is talking about she didn't really start performing and start
0: getting get who she was until she was in her 50s. Well, but she was always lively on stage. I mean, oh, yeah. you look oh, yeah. at Ike and Tina, and you then see I it. Went,
1: I went to Wikipedia and I pulled up all her performances. And I saw where she gave her farewell tour in 2000. And I do remember that because I was at Scorpio Lounge in Charlotte on a Saturday night that night when she performed in Charlotte. And everybody after the show came into the club with their Tina Turner t-shirts on. And everybody was talking about how phenomenal the show was. And then she was actually um, that night in 2008 she was 61 years old when she performed her farewell tour. And then Um, she came back out in 2008 and did another tour and that was her 50th anniversary tour that she did. Um, But that was her last concert performance, this was in 2008.
0: I know, I saw her it was the year that she did Goldeneye I saw her at the Blockbuster Pavilion, which has now changed names a couple of times, so I don't know exactly so that would have been Probably 96 when, because the movie came out in November of 95, so it had to have been 96 because it was in the summer. But I saw her, T- Cindy Lauper opened for her. Cindy Lauper was pregnant at the time. Walked in, Cindy Lauper was smack dab in front of me in the aisle. Was, uh, she was singing and I was looking on the stage for her. Next thing I know, she's right in front of me. But I got to see Tina Turner live on stage, and the One thing that really stood out was, in the show, she said she's going to do something that she doesn't do very often live, and that's sit down. And when she sat down on the stool, she was still constantly moving. And it was a phenomenal show. It was one of the most elaborate stages I ever saw set up at the Blockbuster Pavilion. Because most of them were just the stage. She had stairs and a platform and everything in it and she did GoldenEye on the show and it was she was phenomenal live and that's what I want to remember and that's that's one I wish I would have
1: seen and took the time to go see was go see her I mean I've seen Cher five times
0: I only saw her I've once seen Janet, I've seen Janet Jackson three times see I've the ones that I've seen most of them I've seen once Cindy Lauper, I saw three times because she opened for Tina, she opened for Cher, and she was headlining. I think, no, it was Rick that went with me. It wasn't you that went with me to Cindy Lauper when she headlined. And yeah, it wasn't me. I went with you to see Duran Duran. Yeah, we saw Duran Duran with Terrence Trent Darby. And yep. I saw Natalie Merchant with the 10,000 Maniacs, and I saw Natalie Merchant solo. I saw Sarah McLaughlin on the Little Affair, and I saw Sarah McLaughlin solo. I saw Bush three different times, but I've seen Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Flew to New York City to see Madonna in Madison Square Garden, which was the ultimate. I
1: I remember you doing that.
0: And and on side note for that one was I saw that show. It was August of two thousand one. That show was on a Tuesday night. Five weeks later, exactly. No, it was the Drowned World Tour. But five weeks later, exactly to the day that I saw Madonna in Madison Square Garden was the day the towers fell and I kinda look at it as basically Madonna gave me a huge gift because my love for her got me to New York City because it was the only tickets that I could get they were because the initial shows sold out these were shows that were added to New York it was New York City and Los Angeles and I went ahead and shot for the New York City tickets and I got the tickets. It was upper level, but I didn't care because I was in the same facility with Madonna. And it was Madison Square Garden. Like, the best entertainment complex in the world. And so I, I got to see her the day that I saw her. The day before, we went to 53rd and Broadway. Answered a trivia question correctly. So I got to see David Letterman live in the Ed Sullivan Theater. Walked over to Madison oh. Square Garden and saw Madonna in concert that night. And... Did not have a clue of what was about to happen in that city, and basically, I got in and out of the city safely with no worries because of my love for Madonna. And so, for that, I will always appreciate being a fan of Madonna. Did you get to, did you get to see the
1: Twin Towers when you were there? Like, did you we like, did not go them, in, but
0: we when we flew into New York City? The plane tilted, and you could see the Statue of Liberty in front of the Twin Towers out of the window of the plane. I thought that was cool. It was awesome. And while I was there, I Did got you get a picture of it. Not from the plane, no. Oh. I didn't take. I don't I'm know if I took any pictures that. when I was there. Because I just, I'm not a big picture person, and I live in the moment. I don't photograph it. Oh. So, but the the. When I was there, we went to Liberty Island, and they had mugs of the nighttime skyline, and it was the Statue of Liberty in front of the Twin Towers on the mugs, and Mom was a big mug collector, so I got her that. And when Mom passed, I think that's one of the things I kept. So yeah, it's just proof that being a fan can really take you places that you would never go like I said with Madonna never would have gotten to New York City otherwise probably and because I got to see her I got to go when the city was good there were no issues there was no worry of not being able to get a call out so it was really an amazing week to be there awesome and since we got sidetracked again we'll go back to the Tina Turner documentary here Yeah, the overall it gives a a really good look into her life, more details than you got from what's love got to do with it. But it's just sad seeing that she's. I mean, she's still able to walk. Just it looks like there's some unsteady gait there, and that kind of makes me sad because she was such a phenomenal live performer that was constantly moving, and that was what. caused me to go on this big tangent, but if, if you never got the chance to see her live, you really missed out, because she was just electricity on stage. There's no other way to say it.
1: Oh, the way they ended up the show with um, Simply the Best Live in uh,
0: Brazil. God, 187,000 people. Yep. And, and that's something else they mentioned, was that she wanted to be a female rock musician, and she wanted to fill up stadiums like the Rolling Stones were doing. And she absolutely did it. Oh yeah, she did it. Because, let's face it, she played the Blockbuster Pavilion, which seats, what, 10,000, 15,000 maybe? At, oh, I at don't the know, most. I have been
1: there in so long, I can't tell you.
0: She could have played Panther Stadium. Bank of America Stadium, whatever it's called now. You know, I was was thinking
1: about that. I was like, she could right now, I mean, even in her state today, just sitting in a chair and like singing, she could pack out the Panther Stadium.
0: (laughs) Yep. Because it, I mean, it's Tina Turner. You don't get a celebrity of Tina Turner's stature very often and the um, things that she's had to deal with in her life. Like, they even talk about her suicide attempts in this thing that I had no clue about.
1: Yeah, I had no clue about that either. But what got me is um, the parts where it showed Oprah Winfrey was bringing her out on her arm. You know, she's on Oprah Winfrey's arm, holding on to it. And I'm going, Oprah Winfrey in her own right, she's worth what? She's over a billion. She's a billionaire. Yep. She is. But what gets me is even Oprah Winfrey is a superstar, but Tina Turner overshadowed her big time. I mean, it's like, huh. do you know how fortunate you are to be holding on to Tina Turner's arm? You know, oh, that's the only thing I can think
0: of. And, you know, Tina and Oprah have struck up a friendship through the years. Tina's been on the Oprah Winfrey show a few times. and Oh, yeah. I believe there was a... A show dedicated to a Tina Turner concert, if I'm not mistaken, over a Winfrey show. Like, opening night or something that they... It was all about Tina Turner's concert. And, you know... And as far as Oprah's net worth, yeah, she's worth a ton of money. But does she have more fans than Tina Turner? Because I would say Tina Turner probably has more fans than Oprah. Oh, yeah. And... And again, it's like I said with the whole a movie making tons of money doesn't always mean it's a great film, because people will pay to see something just for the flash of it. But when you actually get into the substance of it, like Jurassic Park doesn't hold up to Schindler's List if you look at it as far as artistic quality and depth. And I think you can agree with me on that. Not knocking any films here, but it's just it's just that's that's a fact. Jurassic Park made a ton more money than Schindler's List, but Schindler's List, as far as the quality of film, was a better film. And, oh, yeah. And this documentary, if I compared, because we did one other documentary, and I kept thinking about that, was, this is nowhere close to that. But as it went along, oh, it got better. To... And for those who didn't hear, it was an RBG documentary that we did back when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed, which still hurts to this day. Missed that woman so much. But that one was such an extensive, in-depth study of her life that really gave everything. And this one took time to get to that point. And that hurt this one, as far as that goes. But the details they got into this were really good. So if you have anything else to talk about, we'll go ahead. But otherwise, we're going to go ahead and do the ratings of it.
1: No, um... I just... It was just a tragic, sad life, and I didn't realize it was that tragic. Yeah. Uh, anyways, go ahead. I'll
0: let you go ahead and do the rating first since I got the rating first on the last one.
1: Well, I'm going to go ahead and give this a rating. I mean, I discovered a lot I didn't know about Tina Turner, and I know we give RBG a 5. I'm going to give this a solid 4.5 for me. I mean, she's just phenomenal, and she's a superstar, and she deserves the best.
0: also... I mean... So basically, we are in agreement on our documentaries because I've been thinking all week, This, like I said, it starts out slow and takes some time to build into it. When it does, it finally starts getting details and you really enjoy it. But it's that build up which RBG didn't have. Like, RBG was the perfect documentary as far as Instantly. I was concerned.
1: Yeah. And but you gotta, you got to see that that was produced by a new show.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. And, so. well HBO has done news and has done really good documentaries in the past and this one is a really good documentary Like, definitely suggest watching it but I agree with you I was thinking the whole time 4.5 it started out about a 3 and I was yeah. like this has got to pick up and it really did when it finally started getting into all the story getting past that recorded interview from 1981 or whatever it was it really built up and you get to see her in two thousand nineteen in his interview as she's sitting in the chair in the room. And the other thing that we didn't mention was Tina did get her happy ending because she did meet somebody, fall in love and they've been married since. So you you get to see that in this documentary as well. And you get to hear from him and you just it makes you so happy that after everything she struggled through she finally got happiness, success, and love. The love that she deserved. True. And that brings us to the end this week. I know I'm already going to tell you my pick for next week on Tuesday when we record this will be the United States versus Billie Holiday because I've been wanting to see it. And it was nominated for the Oscars and just played there. So that's going to be my pick. I don't know if you have yours ready or not, but that's what I'm going with on Hulu. No, I don't have mine
1: yet. So, okay. so next week of it'll course be. I don't. I'm going to be deciding it though.
0: Next week it'll be the United States versus Billie Holiday For me, which something I learned at the Oscars that I did not realize was Andra Day, or Andra Day, however you say her name. One, she chose her name, her stage name, to honor Billie Holiday. That's where the day comes from. And two, the song Rise Up that's become like the big protest anthem was sung by Andre Day who plays Billy Holiday in The United States versus Billy Holiday and 3 Stevie Wonder was the one who suggested her for the role. So all of that I learned at the Oscars this past week made me want to see it even more. Yeah. But but with that we are done any last final words real quick. Well, how much how many minutes we got? About
1: two and a half. Um, we're going to talk about Cooper for a second, about lifting the mask mandate. If everybody continues to do what they're supposed to do here in North Carolina, he said he's going to lift it beginning on June 1st for indoors and outdoors. So everybody needs to keep doing what they're doing. Wear your mask. Social distance. And get your shots.
0: Yeah, well, I was. I still worry about the opening up. I just, I don't know. I don't know if we're to that point yet. Well, a lot
1: of people are getting very
0: frustrated. Oh, I understand that. I hate wearing the mask myself. And I've had to wear it at work more than a lot of people have because it's a hospital setting and we've been required longer than other places have. But... (laughs) I just, I don't know if it's yet time. But we could go on all night with that and we don't have time for it. So continue to do what you're doing, as he said, and please get the vaccination. Yes, it's an emergency approval, but he's gotten it. I've gotten it. We've not mutated in any way, shape, or form. And we're not being tracked by a microchip in our body that wasn't there before the vaccine we're still being tracked by our phones because you know they they track us. So if you're not worried about having a phone, but you're worried about getting a microchip injected into you from a vaccine, you're an idiot, plain and simple.
1: Um iOS the new iOS for Apple has now got a uh, has now got an option where you can go in and and you can click on don't track me. So if you're on a website, you won't see the stuff come up on Facebook on your Facebook feed. So that's, that's gone now
0: oh. for iOS. And it'll probably carry over, but I'm still not getting Apple. So, But anyways, we've got about 30 seconds, so we're going to wrap it up here. Until next week, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.